I expect to see big number 32 in the lineup. And these are very inquisitive aliens. That's a lot of hyphens between words there. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 43. I'm your host, Andrew Gross. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. And this is the New York Islanders have beaten the Florida Panthers in four games in the NHL's qualifying series to advance to the actual 16-team playoff with a first-round best-of-seven matchup against the Washington Capitals episode. That's a lot of hyphens between words there. So, episode 43, we're going to be looking ahead to the Islanders Capitals series, and we're going to do that shortly with the brilliant Islanders radio broadcast team of Chris King and Greg Picker, who were so generous to uh, give me some time to really break down that series. And and then we're going to get to some Andrew's answers and uh, delve a little further into the series or whatever uh, Kinger, Picker, and I did not go over. But um, before getting to that, as I have every week since COVID-19 shut down the uh, the NHL season on March 10th, wishing you and yours and your family and loved ones and friends uh, the best of health and safety. And because 2020 is just about the year of piling on, I hope everyone has recovered from the hurricane that starts with an I and I cannot pronounce and not even going to try because I'm mad at that storm. Um, I hope everyone is back up and running. I know a lot of people uh, went without power for a elongated stretch, and that's never fun here at Shea Gross. We were without power for four days, and uh, that included two of the coldest showers I've ever taken in my life. Uh, just had to power through that, but you know what? What what doesn't really pound you down into the ground just makes you stronger. So I feel like a pretty strong guy uh, this week, and, and the Islanders' game certainly looked very strong in that first round series against the Panthers. A lot to like there, really. Uh, starting with their defensive structure, which is going to be key to any kind of success they do have against the Capitals and Alex Ovechkin. And again, they're facing a team, you know, uh, numbers aside, a, a team that really can light it up on the power play when they get going. So special teams is just going to be hugely, hugely crucial through this series, as it was in that first series against the Panthers. And yes, you know, uh, the Panthers went uh, scored four power play goals during the course of that series and but that was uh four of the seven goals that they got through the four games so uh and, and the Islanders also you know matched those four power play goals so you know uh if you listen to the last episode the preview episode for that series when Butch Goring was talking about the series he wanted the Islanders to play the Panthers even on special teams and if he said, Butchie said, if that was the case, then uh, the Islanders stood a very good chance. And Butchie, as usual, on point because the Islanders uh, were clearly, clearly, clearly the better team over the course of four games. Um, the, the, the Capitals during the regular season were 42 for 216 on the power play. And that's a power play that runs at 19.4%, which was good for 17th in the NHL. But you just know uh, with Ovechkin and Backstrom, uh, you know, and, and, and the Capitals are also hoping to get uh, top defenseman John Carlson back for the series. And uh, if they do that, just further bolster that, uh, that power play, uh, uh, Carlson exited the Capitals exhibition game against the Hurricanes uh, back on July 29th. But uh, Capitals coach Todd Reardon is uh, saying that he's hopeful Carlson will be able to play in 
this series against the Islanders. And, of course, one of the main, main, main storylines, uh, the one that everyone's kind of laser-focused here, is on, on the coaches, Barry Trotz, of course, leading the Washington Capitals to the Stanley Cup, the organization's first Stanley Cup in 2018. Um, and then two weeks later, he's the Islanders coach and his associate coach, Todd Reardon, is elevated to the bench boss in Washington. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of focus on Barry going up against his former team. Uh, you know, not just Barry, but uh, associate coach Lane Lambert, director of goaltending Mitch Korn, uh, a lot there. And, uh you know, also, you know, if you go way, 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 way back, uh, Islanders co-owner John Ledecky also once a, uh, you know, part of that Capitals uh, ownership group with uh, Ted Leonsis. Um, but of course now uh, John wearing the blue and orange um, on the other side of it. So a lot of fun storylines there. Um, Barry Trotz certainly is not one who's going to want to make this about himself, um, but he is certainly going to be asked a ton of questions uh, as this series goes on. And, uh, you know, just wondering at what point he, uh, he kind of tries to shut that down. But uh, here's the schedule uh, for the Islanders Capitals series. I, I think some of you might be happy with this. I know, you know, with three noon starts in the four games against the Panthers, uh, especially on a, you know, on a weekday, on a work day, that was not conducive to a lot of people putting their feet up and, uh, you know, taking in the game at their leisure on the couch. Um, so here is the schedule. Uh, game one will be Wednesday, at 3 p.m. and again all games at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. Game two is Friday night at 8 p.m. That's a that's a fun Friday night. You finish work, you you know have a burger and uh, pop open a cold one, put your feet up and watch an 8 p.m. Capitals uh, Islanders game. And then you got Sunday at noon, which is not bad, you know, unless it's a beautiful day and you want to get outside. And then on August 18th, you got another 8 p.m. start, and then you got three TBDs to uh, finish out the series. Game 5, if necessary, is on August 20th. Game 6 is on August 22nd. And then, you know, you don't see this often, but games game 6 and 7 would be back-to-back. So game 6, August 22nd, TBD. Game 7, August 23rd, TBD. So uh, really, you know, if you can win a seven-game series here, you're really uh, battling through it. Um, and the Islanders did play a back-to-back against the Panthers there. Uh, games two and three uh, split those two and then came back with a, a dominating 5-1 win in game four. But, uh, you know, to talk about about all of that, I want to get to uh, uh, Chris King and Greg Picker, the Islanders radio duo, uh, just noting that, you know, Anthony Beauvillier was simply magnificent in that first round. Uh, Semyon Varlamov was as steady as you need in net, you know, no other than playing the puck out of the trapezoid you know, uh, no real groaners there. And I, I thought he was tracking the puck and, and square to the puck uh, really steadily, steadily throughout the whole series there. Great to have Adam Pellick back on that top pair with Ryan Pulak. And yes, Johnny Boychuk goes out in that game one, an illegal check to the head from Panthers defenseman Mike Matheson, who wound up uh, a healthy scratch after uh, just an awful game two by him. But that's Joel Quinville's problem into the offseason now. So uh, Johnny Boychuk is out for games two, three, and four. Andy Green, the former Devils captain, steps in admirably, um, seamlessly, even though he's playing his offside. He's a lefty. He was playing with lefty Nick Letty. No real issues there. And now Barry Trotz has a lineup decision to make between Andy Green and Johnny Boychuk and uh, the other lineup decision would be 
who to put on Jean-Gabriel Pajot, who, by the way, you're seeing exactly why the Islanders acquired this guy from the Senators and then immediately signed him to a six-year, $30 million uh, extension there. Just really strong play in both ends. Uh, and on special teams for J.G. Pajot. He, of course, paired with Derek Broussard. Tommy Kunakel was on the wing the first three games, and then Leo Komarov, finally healthy, wearing a full birdcage after suffering a facial injury in Phase 2, the voluntary small group workouts. He, uh, he gets the nod in Game 4. You're also wondering, with Tom Wilson in the Capitals lineup, does Barry Trotz think about uh, getting some size in there with Ross Johnson? So, you know, Leo Komarov, Ross Johnson, Tom Kunakel on that wing, or uh, is it Johnny Boychuk, if healthy, or Andy Green staying in? So those are your lineup choices or decisions to be made. And to talk about that and everything else, Upcoming in this Islanders Capital series, uh, here is my chat with, like I said, the uh, the fine listen of uh, the Islanders radio duo of Chris King and Greg Picker. Really, really happy to uh, be joined by the Islanders' really fine radio broadcast crew of Chris King, Greg Picker, and uh, guys who I definitely miss. Uh, seeing on the road and uh, I know how much fun it would be together during this playoff run but at least we can uh, get together and share this time. Chris, Greg, uh, thank you so much for taking the time for Island Ice and uh, just uh, let me start. Chris, what are your thoughts on uh, facing the Capitals here? Sort of has seemed inevitable ever since Barry Trotz became the Islanders coach. Yeah, I guess that's true, Andrew, no doubt about it. But uh, in my mind, you know, I look at the potential matchups as the Bruins have been the one team that has given the Islanders more trouble than any other, really, in the most recent years. Uh, the numbers I have, you know, the Islanders have only beaten them once in the last 10 meetings. So that, to me, just wasn't the matchup that was going to be beneficial to the Islanders. And, you know, the Capitals, certainly Barry Trotz knows them better than anybody else. But, you know, since Barry's come over to the other side of it, it's been dead even down the middle, right? They've played eight games. Each team has won four. As crazy as it is, the home team hasn't won one of those four, uh, one of those eight, I should say. So the road team's won all eight games. But, uh, you know, this year, even you look at the season series, right, two wins, two losses, low scoring, high scoring. Uh, they're just so evenly matched. But I just love the fact that, you know, we get this juicy matchup, as you said, with the guy who knows the Capitals probably better than anyone in Barry Trotz, who obviously led them to the 2018 Cup. Greg, how do you think the Islanders attack the Caps? What's going to be their, their best method? Or, or their best strategy for, for, for beating Alex Ovechkin and the rest of that potent offense? Well, for one, when you talk about that, you have to stay out of the box. That was the one aspect that Florida really was killing the Islanders on was on the power play and how lethal, I think, four power play goals in the four games. Um, but just that state of that structured defense. I mean, the way we, we looked at it, the Islanders played their style of game for about 11 of 12 periods just really got away from it in the beginning stage of the third period of game three against the Panthers. And it cost them the chance at the sweep because you had an, a few penalties that were unnecessary, unforced errors, if you will, that led directly to a few Panthers goals. So if the Islanders can stay to their game and avoid unnecessary penalties, stay out of the box, keep that potent capitals power play off the ice they're going to have a heck of a chance in this series. They match up pretty well with the Capitals, at least as we've seen those last couple of years, as Kinger mentioned. Capitals haven't won a single home game against the Islanders. Not that the Islanders have won a single home game against the Caps, but we know that they're relatively evenly matched based off the, the meetings the last couple of years. And the trend will continue. Uh, neither team will win a game at their home venue, no matter how these seven games go. <laughs> yeah. For for either one of you, just uh, one, how quickly do you think Barry Trotz gets tired of this storyline? You know, I know Todd Reardon came out today and said, this is not Barry Trotz, you know, this yeah. is not Barry Trotz versus Todd Reardon. This is the Capitals versus the Islanders. Yeah, it's a great point, Andrew. And I think you were there as well, obviously, Greg, too. Uh, I think, uh, you know, one of the last times they met in D.C., it was one of those games where he was asked about that. And he said, yeah, you know, we've, we've, we've kind of done it enough now. You know, we've done it 
you know, four times uh, in each building or in various buildings now where he's been asked those same questions. So eight matchups since he won the cup with the Capitals. And you know he's going to deal with it, obviously, pre-series. He did today. He will tomorrow. He will the next day. Um, but I think once the series gets on, he's going to be the same as Todd Reardon. He doesn't want it to be, you know, coach against coach. But obviously, you know, it's going to be a story when he won the cup with them in 2018. And then Todd, you know, had a great regular season a year ago, but bounced in the opening round. So they're still trying to win their first playoff series under the coach that replaced Barry Trotz, while Barry's still trying to, you know, get through the next round and obviously go further than he did a year ago. So um, you know how accommodating he is, Andrew. I'm sure he's going to answer all the questions. But I think toward the seventh or eighth meeting uh, <laughs> since he left, he too was beginning to say, hey, guys, let, let's let this go now. We've done everything we possibly can do uh, as far as, you know, beating this storyline to death. But now that it's, you know, taken to an extra level in the Stanley Cup playoffs, obviously he's going to hear about it. I think once this storyline, once this series comes to an end, is when the storyline can finally be put in the past. Let's say the Islanders and Capitals didn't match up in a playoff series this year and it took until 2022, then it would be a big deal. But because we finally have this playoff series, everybody can obviously look back at the line that Barry Trotz had in the Washington Capitals dressing room. Yeah. The first meeting between the two teams it was at Barclays Center. Everybody knows you have to go through the island. We know this team can do it again, but you'll have to go through the island. Well, now – the Capitals will have to finally go through the island if they want to win another Stanley Cup. Yeah, Nicely cleaned up, Greg. Nicely cleaned up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, we, we almost got this last season, too, right? I mean, the Hurricanes beat in Washington the Capitals in double overtime of Game 7. Uh, otherwise, it would have been Islanders-Capitals last season, and then this would just be the whole storyline of the rematch of last season. But um, you know, watching both the Islanders against the Panthers and, uh, and the Capitals, who went 1-1-1 one, one, and one through their round robin, do you think we can take anything from the Capitals 1-1-1? One, one, and one? We know the Islanders have kind of played back to their defensive structure, and, and they looked good against the Panthers. Do you, do you take anything from the Caps sort of sleepwalking at times through this round robin tournament? Well, I mean, look at the Bruins, right? They go winless, and you look at both round robins, right? The number one seed in the regular season drops down to four in both conferences. It happens to St. Louis, and it happens to Boston. So uh, it was just crazy. But, you know, I think from the Caps standpoint, obviously you're not going to be putting out the same effort as you would in an elimination series like the Islanders had to. But, you know, give the Islanders full marks, Andrew. They give up three even-strength goals in four games. They give up one, 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 and zero as far as goals against an even-strength in, uh, in, you know, knocking out the Panthers in those four games but Washington's got some issues you know that's that's one thing I will say you know just watching the game today obviously no John Carlson on the back line although they do think he will play he's the highest scoring defenseman in the National Hockey League probably will win the Norris Trophy he didn't play any of those games they have Braden Holpe coming off his worst season by far statistically as far as goals against average save percentage and really no backup with the great youngster Ilya Samsonov who got injured during the uh the COVID pause uh, back home in Russia doing an off-ice thing. So really, it's Braden Holpe the whole way. They don't have a backup they can go to. And they've got some issues up front, too. I know Lars Eller just had a baby. He is expected back, but has to go through that quarantine procedure. So they've got some question marks on some of their players. So I'm sure, Andrew, they could think, hey, look, we didn't really have our A lineup together, whereas the Islanders certainly did. And and, you know, as you heard today, Johnny Boychuk was back at practice, so the Islanders may be fully healthy by the time the puck drops uh, to begin this best of seven. And just a note on Braden Holpe, I mean, if the Islanders win this series, this could easily be Holpe's last hurrah in a Capitals uniform. He's an unrestricted free agent come the end of the season. And with the young netminder and Elias Samsonov, who we expect to be the future of the goaltending situation for the Caps for the long term, you're probably not going to spend big money to bring back Braden Holpe. So there's a very good chance that the Islanders could be finishing off Holpe's career with the Washington Capitals should the Islanders advance. Greg, watching the Islanders against the Panthers, the break that none of us wanted to happen, uh, you know, there was a lot of benefits to the Islanders through that break. What, what impressed you most, uh, you know, watching the Islanders in those four games against the Panthers? I think it's, it's pretty simple, but it's getting back to that structure. I mean, how many times the first season of Barry Trotz and the first half of this season did we see the Islanders go ahead by a goal or two goals and the third period just kind of flew by with so few chances, if you're on the Islander side of things, you didn't have to really worry so much. It wasn't as if 
you're ahead by a goal, but you're just relying on the goaltender to make save after save after save. We saw that again, that the Islanders were able to get ahead in the third period. And there was, I think it was game two, a stretch of 13 minutes and 24 seconds between shots on goal for the Panthers yeah. in the third period. Yeah. So we saw that countless times in Barry Trotz's first year. We saw that in the first half of this season, which included that 17-game point streak, and the Islanders kind of got away from that. Obviously not having a top-pairing defenseman, Adam Pellick, had an impact on that. So to have him back and healthy was a huge part of the Islanders' success. And just, again, it's almost cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason. And getting back to that Barry Trotz structure helped the Islanders, and we saw that help them win in four games and it could have easily been a three-game sweep if it wasn't for just a couple of lapses in the beginning of the third period of game three. You know we saw the Islanders top line Jordan Eberle uh, what was it uh, game two right I think he had a couple of goals there and then Matthew Barzell finally gets his first goal of the series in game four but throughout the whole series, the Islanders' most consistent line really was that, that Brock Nelson line with Anthony Beauvillier and, and Josh Bailey. Uh, Chris, you know, as you're watching this, have you seen Anthony, you know, have you seen Bo at this level at, at, at any point, you know, as an Islander? You know, Andrew, and I think you'd probably agree. I think we've all seen it, but you know, for brief periods of time. He's incredibly streaky. He is, you know, Greg and I talked a lot about this on the broadcast. He and Jordan Everly are two of the streakiest players you'll ever find. When they're streaky hot, look out. You know, you you can't stop them. When they're streaky cold, it can go on for a long time without putting any points up. But, you know, Barry Trotz told us about Anthony Beauvillier. He thinks it's all about confidence right now, and he's got that confidence. We all saw the stick with the have fun thing. He's certainly having fun. But to pile up the points like he did in that series, finish with five points, Islanders leading scorer to have three goals, two of those game winners – I mean, he was just so much fun to watch. And then obviously, you know, his linemates, Brock coming on, scoring in games three and four, Bailey picking up four assists along the way. So, um, you know, they were the line, certainly, Andrew, I agree with you, that carried the, uh, the team. And, you know, Jordan Everly did his part. But let's remember, Matt Barzell only had one assist going into that last game. I thought by far his best game was the game four clincher, not just because he had a goal and an assist, but because he was creating. He was doing everything that he normally does. And, you know, it almost gets, you know, forgotten. Anders Lee didn't have a single point in the entire series, but he didn't have to because of the way that that second line performed. And then also, obviously, you know, on the the third line, J.G. Pajot scored in three of the four games. So, you know, they got some really nice help out of the second and third lines. You could kind of hide the fact that the first line struggled almost entirely until that last game and, and still can do a lot more. Let's face it, that first line still can do a lot more. But you're right, Andrew, the second line, the Nelson line with Bowen Bailey uh, certainly was the one that carried them throughout the series the most. And, and Greg, you know, Kinger brings up Anders Lee, the captain. Are we, are we saying something different if he can just lift the puck over the Bob's pads right, right there at the goal mount there? Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about that on the broadcast because he was so close to getting on the score sheet there. And Bobrovsky had probably a better postseason than most of the postseasons he's had in his career outside of the first round against the Lightning last year. But, uh, you know, he just wasn't able to do enough to keep the Panthers alive and force even a game five or, or go beyond that. There just wasn't enough from, from the Panthers at five on five, really, outside the power play, just struggled for the most part against the Islanders in that series but without a doubt yeah you know what if if the captain was scoring at that pace that we've seen him at in the past then you know who knows how game three goes and this could have been over in three games as well but obviously he has another series to try to redeem the lack of points in the opening round and you know what it doesn't really matter it's so easy to forget because the Islanders advanced and it it wasn't anything that would be a glaring problem and you know maybe it took Barzell four games to break out it'll take Anders maybe a fifth playoff game to break out and then we wouldn't even be having this conversation whatsoever and you bring up JG Pajot and to me it's night and day what we're seeing out of him in an Islander jersey right now compared to those you know those seven games right after the trade going into the pause you know you just see the the, the comfort and the ease that he's had having the benefit of a, a, a full training camp, really, with his new teammates. How much of a, an X factor is, is, is Pajot 
just with, you know, and Barry was talking about it today. He's really a guy he can literally use in any situation, five on five, special teams, both the power play, the penalty kill. Barry would not be afraid of using him at either wing either, you know, maybe late in the game if he's shortening his bench. Just, you know, how different a team are the Islanders with, with Pajot at, you know, playing to, to his comfort level? I think very different, Andrew. And, you know, that was the glaring hole, the glaring omission that they really were looking to fill all year long. Third line center. They know what Barzi is. They know what Nelson is. That's the one-two down the middle. They know what Casey is, the perfect fourth line guy. But you really were trying to find that third line center the whole year. So they bring him in. And you're right, he never was comfortable, although he did score those first two games as an Islander. But then the last five he didn't, and he didn't get a win at all, which, uh, you know, his teammates got on him a little bit. But now you suddenly go to the Stanley Cup playoffs. As I mentioned, he scores in three of the four games. He's got that chemistry with Broussard. And it didn't really matter who was playing on the other side because he got the best out of Kunakle for the first three games. I thought Tommy was terrific, especially in games one and two. He had a great forecheck that led to a goal. He had an assist. And then, you know, Leo comes in for that fourth game to bring the heavy body as as Trot says, and he picks up a helper too. So always the sign of a good player is, you know, that he makes those around him better. And Pajot has done that for Broussard. A lot more comfortable on the wing, certainly, than he was at center all season and who's ever been on the left side as well. And, and let's not forget about his Stanley Cup history too, Andrew. I mean, he had a hat trick in his Stanley Cup playoffs many years ago against the Montreal Canadiens. Then he had that incredible four-goal game against the New York Rangers that he tied it in uh, the final minute of regulation. And then the, that was the hat trick goal. And then the fourth goal was the double overtime winner. So he's got this reputation as being a killer in the Stanley Cup playoffs and to score in three of the four games the Islanders played already he's off to a flying start let me uh let me make both of you uh coaches here because you brought up Tommy Kuhnhockel and you brought up Leo Komarov um both of you chime in on this uh Greg you got Johnny Boychuk who practiced on Sunday for the first time since exiting game one on a that illegal check to the head by uh, Mike Matheson. By the way, you could do a whole podcast on how awful a series Mike Matheson had, <laughs> and how Joel. And he only played half of it. Oh my God! But so so you get Jenny Boychek, uh back on the ice practicing, and you saw what Andy Green did, filling in the, the the last three games of that series, even though he's playing his offside with Nick Letty. What do you do game one against the Caps? You, you, you reinsert Johnny or you go you, – you stick with Andy Green? I mean, it, maybe it's dependent on, on Boychuk's health. You know, he, he's back on the ice, but is he at 100%? We don't know. Um, it, it's a tough call. And I actually thought you were going this question, Kunakul or Komarov. And no, was God, I'm, say, I'm getting to that. I'm getting Ross to Johnston. That. Yeah, Ross Johnston could be, could be the, uh, the guy that – sees himself in this series because what other matchup in the East are you maybe as likely to see him versus the, our, our old friend uh, from the Capitals with Tom Wilson, which yes. I think everybody's thinking of that, that potential. Um, but who knows if maybe that's the type of thing that you wait until game three when the Islanders will have last change and whole mice, if you will, advantage. Yeah. But uh, that's certainly a possibility when you're just talking about lineup changes. Um, yeah, no, I was definitely going to get to that. Uh, Kinger. Sorry, I jumped the gun on you. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Uh, Kinger, let's just Boychuk, let's assume Boychuk is healthy. What do you do there? I think you play him, Andrew, just because, you know, let's go back to when Barry was first asked about that decision before the series against the Panthers began. What was the word he used? Did he say the traditional Islanders, something like yeah, that? Yeah. Kind yeah. of saying more of the guys who have been here longer than the guys who just arrived. And let's face it, Andy Green had just arrived, and Johnny's been here a long, long time. So I think, again, it's the start of a new series. If Johnny is healthy, you put him right back in. Uh, it was tough to go out the way he did it. He made it through, what, a period and a couple minutes, and that was it before he took that high hit. So um, I think Barry, you know, is loyal, is true to the guys that have been there a long time. And, uh, and no knock on Andy Green because I thought he was terrific. But, uh, you know, it also gets you back to that three left, three right situation. And, uh, and you give Johnny a chance to get back in. You don't want anyone to lose their job due to injury. And I think if he's good enough to go, you see the exact same lineup. I think Kunakel would start as well because I really think he was, he was terrific in games one and two. And, uh, you know, it was nice to get a blow and, and get Leo in there. And as Barry talked about, get me some legs, get me some heaviness, get me some penalty killing. I think, uh, you know, Uncle Leo did that in game four. But I just think the way the, the series was early on, Tom Kunakel was terrific on that third line, and Johnny Boychuk can't lose his job because he took a high hit. All right. That's, uh, let me ask you, Greg. We got 
Uh, we got to vote for Kuhnhockel. We got to vote for Boychuk on that third line. Now, you, you had brought up Ross Johnson. Leo Komarov plays game four. And Leo, of you know, between, between Kuhnhockel, Komarov, and Ross Johnson, I think we can at least agree that Leo is the best penalty killer of the three, right? Now, do you want Leo for the penalty kill against Alex Ovechkin in that unit? Do you want Tom Kuhnhockel because he really was very efficient, you know, very, very efficient through the first two games? And I think, I forget his ice time game three. It was a little bit down. But, um, or, or do you want Ross Johnson for that, that Tom Wilson, you know, uh, matchup effect? For game one, before anything gets crazy and who knows how a playoff series will go, if it gets feisty, then yes, that, that changes the answer. Um, I'm probably going Tom Kunakel. Uh, you know, in games, I think one and two, he helped create a goal. Um, yeah. Just his dirty work in the corners. Between those three guys, he's probably going to win you the most pucks in battles in the corners. And we saw it a couple of times lead directly to goals uh, in the Florida series. So that's where I'm going game one. And then depending on how things are played, do we see a lot of penalties like we saw in some of the series? Then maybe you go to a Leo Komarov for the, the penalty kill aspect. Do things get testy and you need the Ross Johnston factor? Then you might change that for game two. But my guess is game one, probably a Tom Kuna. All right. But all three bring different elements and can absolutely add a factor to that third line. It's just how do they see the coaching staff see this series playing out and what style of game from game one to game two to game three impacts which player will be the best to have on that line in that game. Yeah, I, I found it interesting. I forget which day. It might have been Saturday. Barry was talking about, you know, reinserting Leo Komarov into the lineup. And he said that the thought all along had been to play Leo. And then, of course, he I guess he took a, a puck to the face or, you know, a facial injury during the phase two, the small group voluntary workouts. So Barry sort of said that, you know, the plan plan A had been Leo. And they kind of went to, to Kuhnhockel, I guess, after that. Um, I, was, I was very impressed with the way Tommy Kuhnhockel played, you know, and the forechecking and, and the passing and, you know, just the quiet nature of his game. And speaking of quiet nature, um, I was pretty impressed with the way Semyon Barlamov played through that series. I thought there was not a lot of, you know, a lot of motion. He just seemed square to the puck. He seemed to be tracking things very well. Just give me your scouting report on, uh, uh, you know, we'll start with uh, Chris, you know, to, to get a goalie to that level, you know, off of this, you know, unique pause, I, I, that was something that, you know, I, I wasn't really sure, not just about Semyon, but any goalie, you know, coming into this, I wasn't sure what we'd get. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think the word that the goalie coaches usually use, Andrew, is quiet. His game was extremely quiet. He wasn't all over the place, you know, diving, acrobatic saves, just square to the puck conservation of movement, quiet, get the job done. And, and again, I go back to those even strength goals against, right? He allowed one, 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 zero. Three total in the four games. Uh, the only mistake he made probably was touching the puck outside the trapezoid, right? <laughs> that led to that, uh, that power play goal again. So, uh, you know, aside from that, I agree with you. I thought he had a terrific series. Um, I think Barry, you know, obviously – was kind of looking at both goalies coming in, but really was leaning toward Varley. We kind of got a sense of that when he played two of the three periods in the Ranger game, the exhibition game. And then he certainly rewarded Barry uh, with his stellar play. So uh, the Islanders, again, did a great job in front of him, obviously. And, you know, you look at some spectacular saves made in the series, and almost all of them are Bobrovsky, but very quietly, certainly Varley got the job done. And let's not, you know, forget, he was a Washington Capitol for the first two years of his career as well before moving on. So uh, he's going to have that in the back of his mind that he would love nothing more than a chance to knock off the team he began his NHL career with. Yeah, I forget which game I looked it up, but he has, I believe, two career playoff shutouts, and they both came with the Caps, I think, uh, 2009? I think they were both in his first playoff series. Yeah. The Caps beat the Rangers that year in seven and then bowed out in the second round against the Penguins. But he hasn't won – this was his first playoff series win – since 2009, 
his first ever playoff series with the Caps when he was a rookie, he only had six games of regular season experience going into that. He was with the Capitals for a few seasons, and then he's matching up against the goaltender who essentially won his job away from him in Braden Holtby when the Capitals decided to go with a Holtby-Neuvert combo in 2011 and, and deal Varlamov out west of the Colorado Avalanche. So now, 10 years later, close to 10 years later, he gets to go up against Braden Holtby in a playoff series and uh, try to outduel him. Uh, you know, the, 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 there are, you know, Barry Trotz aside, there are a bunch of fun storylines in this series. I know, you know, I was reading John Ledecky, you know, was part of that, you know, Ted Leonsis uh, investment group at one point. There are a lot of, you know, Mitch Korn working, you know, Lane Lambert. Uh, there was a lot of interaction between these teams. Um, when you when you look at the series coming up, uh, let me ask both of you. Uh, uh, start with Kinger. Who is your who is the Islander you're looking at most in this series? Who's the guy who really has to you know be at that A triple plus level in your mind for the Islanders to have success here? Yeah, I'm going to give you a pair, Andrew, because they play together, and it's okay. uh, it's Pelly and Pulley. It's it's Ryan Pollock and Adam Pellick because they are going to see obviously the Ovechkin line, whether it has Backstrom in the middle or whoever they decide to, uh, you know, play him at center. I know they've mixed it around quite a bit when they haven't had their full complement of players, but I mean, they've got to find a way to shut Ovechkin down. There's no doubt about it. So really it's going to fall to Adam Pellick and Ryan Pollock. So uh, obviously in those games where the Islanders have home ice, Barry could get the matchup he wants when he doesn't, will he switch on the fly to try to get it? But uh, you've got to find a way to slow down Alexander Ovechkin. And, uh, you know, he did have the one hat trick game against the Islanders in the regular season this year. Islanders did, though, hold him off the board the final meeting when he was sitting at 698. And they certainly didn't want 700 to come on their watch. So how that duo matches up against, again, I say Ovechkin, but obviously Backstrom, too, is a big weapon if they decide to play him together or on separate lines. Oshi, you know, had a couple power play goals against the Islanders in the season series. But to me, those are the two biggest Islanders uh, in my mind going in. How can they handle Alexander Ovechkin? Can they keep him in check? And, uh, and, you know, will Barry switch on the fly to try to get that matchup to have his best pair, obviously, against their biggest weapon? All right, Greg. Kinger took uh, Pelian Pulak off the board. Who, who are you selecting here? So then I'll go with a trio of Sezikis, Martin, and Clutterbuck. Their job is diff a little bit different because we're so used to seeing them in a packed building in the playoffs where all they can do is just touch a, touch a guy's shoulder and the crowd will erupt when it's one of those three guys that's uh, touching anybody in the opposition. So now their job's a little bit different because there's no crowd to help feed the energy of the team. So they will try to set the tone in that matter. And if, let's say, an early goal is scored against, they'll be the guys that have to come out there and change the momentum back the other direction, just try to get a shift in the offensive end. It's not their job to score to tie up the game, but it's their job to quell the momentum from the opposition and try to get things going back towards the other direction. And we've seen them do that time and time before. Now they'll have to do it without a crowd behind them as well. You bring up a good point. I'm wondering, and I had wondered this going into the, the Panthers series, who does Barry pick? You know, which line does Barry pick? You know, when he can get the matchups he wants against, you know, the Backstrom, Ovechkin, or Wilson, you know, who do you see him going with? Do you see him going with Brock there? you see him going with the Casey's line? Where, where do you see them going that way? Yeah, I agree with Greg that it would be Casey's line if he had his first choice and then Brock, probably his second choice. And then obviously, you know, with Pajot, if you go third and, and you know, if you want to match top line against top line and just see uh, who's going to come away victorious, that'd be fun to watch us too. That'd be uh, a lot of offense. But it's interesting, Andrew, I kind of pointed out, you remember the season series opening night was the 2-1 loss at the Coliseum. And then as we got deeper in the series, game three was a 6-4 game, game four was a 5-3 game. So it went from very low scoring hockey to very high scoring hockey. And I think Barry prefers those, you know, those low scoring games. So he's going to try to keep it tight checking. He doesn't want to play pond hockey with this team that, you know, scored the second most goals in the National Hockey League this year. So they've got weapons up and down the lineup. He wants to, to shut it down, just like he did against the Florida Panthers' big guns. I mean, certainly Barkov and Huberto had a handful of points, but nobody else had anything really in that whole series for the Panthers. So, uh, you know, Barry's style is not going to be run and gun, and he's going to have to try to wait to, again, 
find a way to keep it low scoring if he's going to have any chance of advancing. Yeah, and if I remember that 5-3 game, which uh, I think was in February in Washington, it was actually a 5-1 game at one yeah. point, and then it got kind of hairy then yeah. <laughs> at the end. So, uh, Greg, do you think, uh, off of what Kinger just said, do you think the Islanders will be successful doing that, keeping this a, a very low-scoring series? I think that's the only way that they can win a, a best of seven against the Washington Capitals, keeping things low scoring. Um, memorable game was right at the end of last year when the Islanders were trying to solidify home ice in the first round of the playoffs. And although the Caps didn't have as much to play for as the Islanders did, I believe it was uh, 0-0 going into the third period and the Islanders scored twice uh, in the final period. That was game 82 of the 18-19 season. And the Islanders will have to try to, uh, to play games that way and keep it low scoring and, and sneak one out to, uh, to defeat the Capitals in a best of seven. They'll have to do it multiple times. It's going to be hard to win a run and gun. And that was the goal going into those Panthers series was you're probably not going to win a best of five against Florida if the final scores are 5-3, five, 5-4 five, consistently. You're going to have to win games that are 2-1, 3-1. And we saw those type of affairs go the Islanders' way in this best of five that just completed. Well, let me, because uh, the, uh, the, the sand is quickly running through the hourglass here, and I, I appreciate all the time you guys are taking. Just real quickly, in terms of technical stuff, it's a challenge. How did the first round go, and where, where can we listen to you in the second round here? All right, I'll give you the, the whole rundown of the, uh, the extensive New York Islanders radio network, and then Greg can talk you through uh, what we dealt with in our studio. Our flagship station is WREQ. That's 88.7 FM Radio, Hofstra University. You can also get that online at uh, WREQ.org. You can also use the WREQ app. That is an awesome app. You push one button, you get our broadcast. We've also been thrilled to be picked up so far every game by ESPN Radio in New York City on their FM, which is their big flagship, 98.7 FM. If you live on Eastern Long Island, it's LI Talk Radio. It's 103.9 FM, WRCN, the first radio station I ever worked at professionally, and now back in our network, a huge part of that. We're on Sirius XM. That's on channel, uh, channel 91. For those of you that have Sirius XM satellite radio, of course, NHL.com as well, another place you can grab us online. So if you can't find us in any of those outlets, you get the old-fashioned string and tin cans, you put it up to your ear, and somehow you'll find our broadcast. So uh, thanks, Andrew, for a chance to give us the plug. We do appreciate We had Greg will tell you, we had somebody checking in from the UK listening to our broadcast in Game 4, and I'll let Greg take uh, you through a little bit of what it looks like from our side of things. Yeah, so we have a, a couple of big, I think, 55 or 60-inch monitors, two of them in our studio. Kinger and I are on opposite ends of two very long tables. Um, and we had five games, of course, the exhibition game against the Rangers and then four games against the Panthers. And we felt that the technology and kind of our expertise and what we had to do with the technology got better each game, whether it was just everything coming from Toronto the sound being synced up to the video, it was off in that exhibition game. I don't know if, if, you were li if you were a fan listening to that exhibition game, you probably heard what we heard, which was a goal horn going 15 seconds or so before Kinger's call <laughs> of the goal being scored. And that was just everybody in, in Toronto just working on things. And by game one, where it really counted, it was much better. And we weren't spoiled, if you will. Um, but by game one and game two, we really figured out we we're constantly having to refresh, but it worked. And I think if you were listening, um, it probably sounded like we were in the building. And you know what? It, it felt that way, especially uh, for the big moments towards the end of the series. And Andrew, I just want to point out, we're across the street from the Coliseum. We're at Hofstra University. So cool that I drive the same way. I just make a right instead of a left. And the energy of the Coliseum is with me when I pass that great building on my way to Hofstra. It's, uh, it's good stuff. I know we're all kind of changing on the fly, as it were, but, uh, you know, we're all just trying to do what it takes to make it work. And, uh, you know, looking forward to uh, listening and looking forward to, uh, you know, some good games here in the second round. Chris and Greg, thank you so much for uh, taking the time with me tonight and uh, enjoy the series. Thank you, Andrew. Always a pleasure to, to the chat. And my thanks again to Kinger and uh, Greg there. Uh, and, and I mean what I say, uh, 
it's fun being on the road with those guys. Uh, you know, it's fun talking hockey. It's fun talking music with them. It's fun talking life. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, definitely is uh, absent from covering the Islanders right now on my end is, uh, you know, getting to see these guys on a daily basis. But uh, always great to check in with them. And now you guys are going to check in with me as we go to this week's episode of Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And as I scroll through these questions, and thank you so much for uh, submitting them on a Sunday, it's a lot of lineup questions. Um, A lot of, as I say, you know, who's playing and, uh, you know, Boychucker Green or Ross Johnson or or uh, Tom Kuhnhackel or Leo Komarov. So I'm, I'm just going to start and I'm going to go through all the forward questions first. Uh, let's see, Mark Beck says, Ross get to play game one uh, or does he play in the series? Michael Rizzi says, do the Islanders stick with Uncle Leo's agitations to draw, to try and draw penalties? Or does Ross Johnson draw into the lineup for added toughness up front? Or does the composure and consistency of Kuhnhackel bring him back into the fold? Uh, let's see. The Fred says, five on five, I think the Islanders can play with the Capitals. The key is staying out of the box. I'd like to see Ross in there because uh, you know Wilson will be out against Barzell and try to intimidate him. Uh, Sean Stalker says staying out of the box will be pivotal to winning the series. How can Trot stick with Komarov when he averages one bad penalty a game? And in the one game Leo did play, he did take what I thought was a not great penalty against the Panthers. Didn't come back to bite him, but... You know, Sean Stalker is correct that the the Islanders can't afford to give the uh, the the Capitals power play too many chances. Uh, Steve says, does Leo stay in the lineup game one, or do they go with Ross to set the tone? Uh, Mike T says, who is going to see the most action in that rotating wing spot on Pajot's line for the Islanders during the series? Uh, let's see, uh, Matt says, will Ross Johnson see some time during the series to counter the physicality of the caps? Uh, let's see, Steeple202 says, there seems to be a revolving door for that third line left wing spot. Is Kuhnhackel the coach's preference there? I think that is it when it comes to that, that question. Uh, so let me just, uh, collect my thoughts there. And as I mentioned, uh, while we were talking to Kinger and Greg, uh, I found it interesting that coach Barry Trotz had said right at the start, um, that, you know, if Leo had not gotten hurt during that phase two, the voluntary small group workouts, he was kind of, uh, you know, penciled in to start that game one of the qualifying series. So uh, based on that, and and pretty much, you know, because I I, I also agree with the guys. I I thought Tom Kuhnhackel played really well and really didn't do anything to deserve coming out of the lineup. Um, I sort of get the sneaking suspicion uh, that Leo Komarov uh, will be in the lineup for game one. And, and I agree that the risk there is putting the Capitals on the power play, but I think, I think Barry really likes, uh, and again, we've spoken about this, you know, the intangibles that the coach sees that sometimes you and I maybe don't see, but, uh, he really likes Leo's intangibles and just, kind of the way Leo gets under people's skin and the way he'll go in and forecheck and get along the boards. And I thought, you know, t- again, Tom Kuhnhackel did a really good job of all of that. Um, so, you know, if it was me, I, I think I agree with Kinger. I might go back to Tommy Kuhnhackel, but trying to think like Barry, I think he's going to go with Komarov in game one. And I, I, I agree that Ross Johnson is definitely an option here uh, at some point in the series, be it game two or three, 
we'll, we'll have to see how quickly that physicality, uh, that, that hatred that develops naturally in any playoff series uh, develops between these two teams in this particular series. But uh, I expect to see big number 32 in the lineup before this is all over. Um, and now let's go to the defense, um, which is basically uh, uh, Green or um, Boychuk. Uh, let's see. Doc Ant says, assuming Boychuk is able to go, do you think Barry goes back with him or lets Green, who has looked quite good, play? Eli says, who are your X-Factors for each team? Will we see Boychuk playing? And if so, will he be shadowing Ovi? That being Alex Ovechkin. Brian uh, Faunen says, is Boychuk a better choice than Green? Uh, I, again, agree with the, with the guys in that. I think if Boychuk is healthy... Um, as good as Andy Green played in games two, three, and four, I, I think he does go back to Boychuk uh, to get that lefty-righty thing going again. And also because, you know, there's something to be said about really not losing your spot because of injury. I, I know Thomas Hickey doesn't want to hear about that vis-a-vis Devontae's, but uh, I, as as far as shadowing Ovi, I, I don't know that that's going to be Boychuk's deal. Um, you know, as as the guys mentioned, Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak are going to see a bulk of the time when Alex Ovechkin is on the ice. So uh, you're looking probably at, at those two guys. Um, you know, if you're talking about shadows. Uh, I'm looking at Pelik and Pulak to really uh, take more of that. But Eli does says, who are your X factors for each team? Um, and and I, I will say this, um, you know, I know uh, Kinger picked Pelik and Pulak and uh, Greg went with the uh, Casey Zizekas fourth line. My X factor here is really how how Matthew Barzell, Anders Lee, and Jordan Everly perform in this series. And, you know, it's not that they had a bad series against the Panthers um, because they they were all very responsible defensively. And, and that's where it starts on a Barry Trotz team. So you can't say they had a bad series, but, I, I, you know, I think the Islanders have to hope that uh, that Barzy's goal in in game four, you know, is kind of a, a good sign or a sign of things to come in this series. They really need that top line to get going in terms of scoring because, you know, you know, I know Alex Ovechkin did not look like Alex Ovechkin through this uh, round robin tournament. And I just think the guys uh, had a hard time, like, really getting up to that playoff speed. But I think you're going to get, you know, Alex Ovechkin and those guys at playoff speed. So, uh, you know, I I think Barzell's line is going to have to match that. Um, Not that you can match Alex Ovechkin, but I think Barzell's line is going to have to be very good this series uh, for the Islanders to be able to move on. And as far as an X factor for the Capitals, I'm looking at John Carlson. Uh, the defenseman, um, if he is back and he is able to play, the, the Caps are sort of a, a different team. Um, like Kinger mentioned, uh, I think this is the guy who's going to win the Norris Trophy this year, uh, you know, leading scorer for the team. Uh, you know, go figure. We're a team with Alex Ovechkin on it. But uh, uh, John Carlson, during the regular season, he put up totals of uh, 15 goals and 60 assists. So his 75 points beat out uh, Alex Ovechkin, who had 48 goals and 19 assists. Um, so I, I would pick John Carlson as my X factor and, and what level and what his health is for this series. Uh, I think that's going to be a huge swing uh, one way or the other. Let's see, just going through some of the other questions. Um, Chris uh, Golterman says, how much of an X factor is Pajot considering the Islanders now have two very good defensive centers to match up with Kuznetsov and Backstrom? And and I agree. I think, you know, Pajot has just really put some balance into the Islanders' 
wanting to play four lines consistently and, and rolling that. And, uh, you know, Barry, like I said, Barry has talked about Pajot being able to, you know, uh, be a superior player five on five, it, both offensively and defensively. Uh, Barry uses Pajot on the power play, and he also uses JG on the, uh, on the penalty kill. And along with Sezikis, you know, no longer should it be an issue of, you know, are the Islanders able to win a defensive zone faceoff? Um, Peugeot, very good in the circle. You know, Casey good there too. So, yeah, I, I, I think Peugeot is a huge X factor. Like I mentioned with the guys, uh, you, night and day with Peugeot, you know, four games against the Panthers compared to the seven games when he first came over uh, that February 24th trade. Um, Here is a very interesting one. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Oleg Stradamus says, Once we're all reminded ad infinitum and ad nauseum uh, that Barry Trotz and Semyon Varlamov have ties to the capital, will anyone at NBC remember Lubo? And uh, I know Islander fans have a very long memory. Um, yeah, uh, Lubomir Vishnovsky, um, the, the the defenseman. So in 2015, the, the 2014-15 season was Barry Trotz's first as the Capitals coach after he came over from the Nashville Predators. And Barry's talked about this a lot since coming to the Islanders, about how that first round playoff series, which by the way, the Capitals won in seven games with a 2-1 win at Washington in game seven after the Islanders salvaged the uh, the series with a game six win at the Coliseum, which at the time we all thought we were saying goodbye to the Coliseum then. Um, I'm digressing a little bit. Anyway, back to Lubo. So Barry Trotz has said, time and time again uh, that 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 might have been the most physical series he's he's been associated with. In game four, uh, Tom Wilson, who at the time was not uh, a top-line wing with Alex Ovechkin. He was, you know, he had more of a reputation of just this huge guy that went around wrecking people. And he, he wrecked Lubo. A uh, big hit on uh, on Lubo in Game Four uh, effectively ended Lubomir's NHL career. Um, he did not come back for Games Five, Six, Seven. Uh, he played nine games uh, in the KHL the following season, and that was it for his playing career. He had a, a history of concussions, and, and, and Wilson just took him out. And then there was the back and forth where the Islanders were, you know, understandably disgusted with that hit um, and just, you know, taking out one of their uh, six defensemen. Uh, And Thomas Hickey, who ironically would have, you know, his own concussion issues. And I'm reading from uh, Arthur Staples' uh, Newsday article on April 22nd, uh, 2015, his preview for... uh, Game five, uh, Thomas Hickey said, with Lubo, you know his head issues. It makes me sick to my stomach to see him hurt and not feeling good. Uh, Wilson went in to hurt our guy, obviously. Uh, And then you had Barry Trotz, you know, obviously defending his guy. And, And over, you know, even as the Islanders coach, Barry Trotz continues to have kind words uh, for Tom Wilson and for the hockey player he's become. But, uh, you know, after the the hit, game four, Barry Trotz said the next day he didn't leave his feet. He stayed low, pucks right there, all those things. Tom Wilson didn't do anything other than run him over. I sort of suspect that... (laughs) that that will be brought up at some point by NBC because, uh, you know, that series was just, it stood out for its physicality. Um, and I think NBC will do a good job with its history. So, uh, Oleg Stradamus, yes, I, I suspect uh, Wilson's hit on, on Lubo will be mentioned at, at some point, And thank you for bringing that up. Let's see, uh, Michael Klink uh, says, do you keep line one intact? That would be uh, Barzy between uh, Anders Lee and 
Jordan Eberle, or do you reward Anthony Beauvillier and bring him up to play with Barzell and Eberle and then put Lee with Nelson and Bailey? Uh, I, I, I suspect that uh, that Barry is going to roll with the lines. Uh, Nelson, Bailey, and, and Bo had such a strong series as a trio. Uh, Josh Bailey, you know, a, a quietly effective series, but four assists. And, uh, you know, Brock Nelson had a goal, maybe I think a goal or two. Sorry, I don't have the stats in front of me. Uh, that line was going really good. I don't think Barry breaks that up. Brian Bowl says, and this is not a hockey question, can anyone beat Tis the Law? And if anyone watched the Travers on Saturday, you saw another dominating performance by the New York bred Tis the Law, who, uh, who, uh, won the Belmont uh, back in June in dominating fashion, running away from the field down the stretch, and uh, it was like you know popping on a video cassette and watching a, uh, a replay up at Saratoga, and, and really that was that that was the race that Sacatoga Stable and uh, and their the leader of the syndicate Jack Knowlton that was the race, you know obviously him and and Barkley Tag the trainer want to win a triple crown don't get me wrong but that's their home that's their home you know it's it's a it's a saratoga horse um and it meant so much for sacatoga stable and jack Knowlton and for barkley tag uh to get that that travers uh win in, in such dominating fashion you know everyone was talking about uh uncle chuck going into the race and and tis the law I don't even think he broke a sweat, and and it even looked like the jockey uh, Franco slowed him down before coming to the finish line, uh, just to ease up on him a little bit. He was so far ahead. Uh, it was really a beautiful race, and uh, and now Tis the Law goes on to Kentucky uh, in this you know uh, reconfigured horse racing schedule, and uh, he goes the the Kentucky Derby is now the second leg of the Triple Crown. And can anyone beat Tis the Law there? Well, I, I, I'm not sure of a specific horse um, that could beat Tis the Law uh, on an even playing field because Tis has just such great closing speed, and he's and he's also got early speed uh, where he can just hang back, uh, stay you know second or third uh, behind the pace setter, and then once he gets that turn. Just, you know, the Jets come on and no one can keep up with him. So, to me, the key for Tis the Law at the Derby will be getting a clean race because it is very rare to get a clean race at, you know, if you got a 20-horse field at Churchill Downs. And, uh, you know, the the post-draw is also going to be crucial to Tis the Law's, you know, uh, race. You know, if anyone can beat Tis the Law, it would be him getting, you know, a one, two, or three, or even a four uh, post, and maybe being maybe being pinned along the rail, uh, coming out of the gates and being slowed down, um, and having to find an avenue to get to the front and tiring himself out that way. Um, but I, I think if Tis the Law gets a post, say eight or ten out, uh, I, I I think he's unbeatable in that race. But uh, th- th- that's my quick. Handicapping. If you want more, please tune in to Eddie Olchuk on NBC because uh, Eddie Eddie's amongst the best at that. Let's see, uh, Islanders, um, not the official Islanders uh, account, but Islanders says, what advantage do the Islanders have over the Caps? And I'll tell you what advantage the Islanders will have to have over the Caps is that Semyon Varlamov uh, will have to get out of the gate, uh, you know, going back to the horses. Uh, Varlamov will have to get out of the gate quicker than Braden Holtby does for the Capitals. And, and you know, if if the Islanders can stick to that defensive structure and play 2-1, 3-2 games, I think that that favors them. Uh, Martian Monster says, did anyone remind Devontae's not to mock anyone's celebrations this time? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, <laughs> Taze is well aware not to poke the bear. He was certainly reminded by Barry Trotz uh, immediately after that happened. So, uh 
Uh, let's see. Uh, Islanders again says, what's our biggest fear in the playoffs? I, I guess uh, hot play of Ovechkin. And look, that's certainly, you know, Ovechkin can take over games like few people can. And if he's putting up two, three goals a game, uh, Islanders are in a lot of trouble. Um, and Shadow Commissioner, the NHL cannot pre-suspend Tom Wilson. Uh, let's see, Steve Ungro with the funny one. How come Barry, <laughs> and this is, this is the deal now. Every time, uh, you know, all these Zoom conferences are, are up online so you can see it. Steve Ungro says, how come every time Barry Trotz realizes it's you asking a question, he has a slight smirk, and, and, and I'm pretty sure that's because he knows just how intelligent the question is going to be. I can't think of any other reason. Um, Rick Stark says, uh, let's see, and we're going to finish on this. Aliens again, Andrew. Uh, they have another question. Um, and these are very inquisitive aliens. Uh, how short or long of a leash do you think Barry gives Varlamov this round? Does a 4-1 loss uh, bring in Grice, or has Varley earned his crease barring injury? Um, it's a very good question. Barry has said he expects Grice to contribute at some point and that he can't make a wrong decision between the two. Um, as far as how long or short the leash is, um, you know what? Uh, if Varley loses 4-1, but the Islanders really should have lost that game 7-1 uh, because their defensive structure collapsed and Varley kept him in the game at 4-1, then, then he keeps the net. Really, I mean, I guess that's the answer. I don't know how specific it is, but Varley will keep the net as long as you know he he's playing at that level that he played with through the uh, through the four games in the Panthers. If he has a stinker, yeah, it wouldn't shock me to see Barry going to Thomas Grice and seeing if uh, Thomas Grice has a little bit of magic. And uh, we'll we'll see how much magic Varley and the uh, the rest of the Islanders have very soon. Uh, game one on Wednesday. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks again to Chris King and Greg Picker, the Islanders radio duo, for breaking it all down. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I really do appreciate that. And uh, uh, if you want to look for everything, uh, you know where to find me on Twitter. That's A Gross Newsday. Um, you can find everything I write on Newsday at newsday.com backslash sports. Uh, you can find all the back Island Ice episodes there, and you can find Island Ice wherever you find podcasts. Apple, Spotify, it's on SoundCloud, Google. Um, I don't know, I think if you go down to the Corner Deli, you can buy a slice of Island Ice. Uh, I think that's a new one for us. But uh, until the next slice of Island Ice, happy hockey, everybody.